the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. It's been a disastrous year for cryptos, the most recent story being the collapse of global exchange FTX and its sister company, Alameda Research. FTX's CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, was supposed to be the height of cool, appearing on stage with world leaders like Bill Clinton and Tony Blair in his trademark Bahamas shorts and t-shirt. Bankman-Fried boasted that he would one day like to buy Goldman Sachs, that's the bank. His short but gutsy run at greatness came crashing down as we learned he was taking customer deposits and on lending them to his sister company, Alameda Research, which then made some wild bets losing apparently $4 billion in the process. Where did it all go? Well, apparently it went into 500 highly illiquid investments like skin lotions, weight loss drugs, and Chinese websites. Bankman wasn't the only one willing to gamble with other people's money. Earlier in the year, Terra Luna, which was an experimental stable coin, came crashing to earth after it was exposed that the whole project was held aloft by air. Then came Voyager, Celsius, Three Arrows Capital. Three Arrows Capital filed for bankruptcy earlier this year, and the court documents show how the company made a $50 million down payment on a yacht at a time when creditors were making margin calls, which leads one to conclude that the crypto sector needs to grow up and get some proper management. Well, joining us for a recap of the year and the top crypto stories that graced our headlines is Omar Iqbal, co-founder and CEO of Five West. Hi, Omar. It's good to have you back on again. You're no stranger to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. I see in a recent editorial, you said it is time for crypto management to grow up. You said this in reference to Sam Bankman-Fried's trademark short pants and t-shirt and some of the other crazy stuff we hear from collapsed crypto companies. Explain what do you mean by proper management? Hi, Kieran. Thanks so much for having me on and it's a pleasure to be on again. Um, I suppose what I meant by proper management was that the industry should converge to a point um, where interests of the clients are put first. I think that's the most important thing at all times is to keep client interests at heart and and work around that, to be honest. And yeah, if you really think about it, I think profit-seeking organizations who tend to cut corners have taken what we call a decentralized asset class to a way more centralized asset class or a centralized way of conducting the business now. Um, so that completely defeats the purpose of having a decentralized asset class to the way these companies are now running their businesses. Um, at the end of the day, I think the FTX debacle is a really bad one for the crypto industry, um, at least in terms for the short-term effects that we've seen it's had on the market itself with an absolute dump as soon as the news came out. And many other crypto firms are also on the verge of bankruptcy. Um, the first ever crypto NASDAQ listed company, um, I think two weeks ago, also filed for bankruptcy, which is quite a massive shock because I think that'll be the last um, NASDAQ listed crypto company for a while at least. And I suppose for, um, from a more long-term approach, the industry needs more competition. I think that'll be quite healthy. And... If there's no competition, I think we'll be sitting with exactly the same FTX scenarios in the near future. So competition will will try beat all this stuff out. But yeah, and, and it's really it lacks proper management now. And I think what happened with FTX was just not proper. You can't put it down to a lack of proper management. I think it was plain and simple fraud. Um, pending, obviously, what the what the liquidators and the court has to say. But what it appears from an outsider's view, it was complete fraud, right? 
Indeed. I mean, some of the stories that we're hearing about FTX, uh, that they were, while the auditors were doing an audit in the background, they were moving crypto from one company to another. They were shifting all of this crypto between wallets to make it appear that they had more assets than they actually did, which makes one wonder how easy it is to fool auditors in this uh, in this business. And the other thing if, that we're hearing a lot of talk about is proof of reserve audits. Uh, my same point applies there. You know, if you can do that in the background while the auditors are mulling around your office, can we really trust the figures or the statements that are coming out of crypto companies? What do you think? Um, I think, firstly, proof of reserves needs to be implemented for day one, right? So it's really hard to implement proof of reserves once the auditors are at your place. Um, it is quite easy, I'd say, because you can fool the auditors because it's a fairly new industry now. So it's quite easy to to just change numbers or show what you really need to show the auditors. But also the blockchain is, is quite transparent if you really think about it. So it will also come down to the auditors being inexperienced, I'd say, because if it was an experienced firm who've dealt with crypto assets in the past and know exactly what to look for, you can go onto, let's say if it's an Ethereum token, you can go onto Etherscan and you can exactly see where the tokens have been sitting, where they've been moved, et cetera. So I think saying that it's it's hard to it's sorry just cut that saying that it's um not bulletproof i think it is completely bulletproof because etherscan won't lie a wallet address won't lie so you can track all the transactions um so i do think if you implement proof of reserves from the start it's a very easy way to track exactly where the liquidity is sitting and also to find out where customer deposits are sitting the problem comes in is when you have multiple addresses for client deposits. I think it should be having one uh, centralized wallet where you where you basically just simply it's just a matter of debits and credits, right? So you just if you're using that liquidity for X, it's completely stated to that client what you're using the liquidity for, um, where their reserves are sitting, etc. Um, so I think that should be able to cut down all the fraud in the market is by just having some proof of reserves implemented. And I think Binance and all those major cryptocurrency exchanges now are doing a good job in making sure um, that they are doing proof of reserve audits. I think Trust Token today actually also sent an email saying that they're going to be having a proof of reserve audit. So it's a good thing, at least for the stablecoin companies to do it. I think that's very important. If we want it to be back to the US dollar fully, we need to know that our money is safe and secure. So it's very important for them to do it. And then very important for uh, companies like Binance or exchanges like Binance to do it, uh, because that's where most of the trading happens. If you go into CoinMarketCap, they're the biggest um, exchange by market share or by market cap so it's very important for them to do it and then for also for smaller companies to implement that it's very important to gain that trust um back from these from 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 the consumers because i think crypto is here to stay it's just about how we how we work around this this what ftx has done and caused an absolute shock in the market yeah, I think it's an interesting point. Uh, Coin Market Cap has just recently launched this facility where you can go and interrogate and see which are the exchanges which are offering proof of reserve audits, and that's been a very new thing. I think it's only about two weeks old. So you know, before you signing up with an exchange, you can you can go and check: are they valid? Do they have the coins that they say they have? And another piece of software that's out there is called Clue, which is uh, Q L U E. I was looking at, well, somebody was showing me yesterday in regards to Mirror Trading International, and it's quite fascinating because this is the transparency of the blockchain. You can see every fraction of a coin that has been moved around. And what I found quite fascinating was that uh, Mirror Trading International had 1,800 wallets, 
Yeah. Which does make it quite a forensic exercise to track down exactly where this money is moving between all these wallets and get a consolidated view of everything. But the point is that that software does exist and that is basically built in. It's embedded into the DNA of, of blockchain technology, correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, look, even if you have to go through 1,800 wallet addresses, um, the source is still one. So they're all, so money goes into the wallet and then it goes out, it flows out either straight away in a few days, in a few hours. But it's more important to see where, what those wallets are and whether those funds are ever coming back. So if, let's say we talk about a short-term loan. If I'm loaning out money to someone for a week because um, they've got a margin trade on, um, they need to be able to return the money to me. And if in a week it hasn't come back, you go onto that wallet address and you can see clearly that the money hasn't come back. But this also talks into the point of transparency is what is the firm using the money for? Also, if it is a loan product that they're paying out interest on, I understand that they are using that money um, to to lend out. But if it's just a, if, if it's just holding assets, so if I go into an exchange, I want to buy Bitcoin, I would expect my Bitcoin to be there and not be loaned out for that company's benefits. I think that's the most important is differentiating between whether you're in a loan product or whether you are just buying and holding on that exchange. Because if you're just holding, um, the company has no right to be using your funds. Uh, they have no right to be earning interest on it. So I suppose lots of companies do it, but in essence, I think that's ethically quite wrong because it's not your asset to be earning money off. I suppose it comes down to the banks to exactly the same thing. But if you're trying to make a better uh, crypto community and ensuring that your funds are being held safe, I think that's where it needs to start from is differentiating between a loan product and when you're actually buying and holding crypto. Yeah, I mean, I think that does raise questions about what is the role and the function of an exchange. You you mentioned that banks are doing that. If you deposit money with a bank, they are on lending that uh, with at, at leverage. So yeah. you know, that they'll be up to ten times leveraged on the money you deposit. So if crypto exchanges are doing that, well, of course they're not regulated. They don't have the same uh, fiduciary requirements that a bank has. So and and firstly in their in their terms and conditions, I don't think that many of these exchanges are even allowed to do that. So you know that is something that is quite deceptive. People are now starting to wake up that this is actually going on in the crypto space. Yeah, look, it it, it does come down to lack of regulations. I think at the end of the day, um, everyone in the crypto community or everyone who has a crypto business is just rooting for regulations to come. Like we ourselves we just want a clear understanding of what's happening in South Africa. Um, so I suppose everyone worldwide who's running a crypto company just wants regulations to be in place so that they can also understand um, what they can and cannot do. Because right now, everyone's like, can we make a decision? Can we not? And it's really hard to actually come up with a, with, with a decision because let's just say you have a derivatives license in South Africa. Does that mean now you can offer crypto insurance or crypto CFDs or any of that sort uh, probably doesn't because you need an ODP license. But how do you apply for an ODP license without regulations in place? And these are the conversations I think you'd have to have with the with the regulators for them to make their mind up. Otherwise, we'll see a lot more scams. You, you touched on the Mirror Trading International point earlier. That was a clear scam. But lots of South Africans, actually worldwide, people got caught out by that. But if we had clear regulations in place, people would be able to avoid it. And it's the same goes for, for just buying and holding crypto. I, I'm a firm believer that it should all be held offline unless you're trading regularly and you're getting your money in and out of an exchange. There's no point in holding your money with an exchange because at the end of the day, it's to their benefit and not yours. 
Um, but also, if there is clear regulations about it and there is fiduciary duties that they that you've got to report on to specific regulators, etc., it becomes a lot clearer to the consumer what your money is being used for. Because right now, if I buy and hold on, let's say even Binance, I would hope that the money is not being used for something which only benefits them. Because at the end of the day, your one Bitcoin stays one after three months. Yet they might have earned one point, I don't know, oh five. Um, so yeah, these are quite these are questions that obviously need to be answered, especially after the FTX debacle. I think a lot of people are trying to hold their crypto offline. Um, from what I've heard from from our chats we've had with various different consumers as well as different companies, I think everyone's promoting money to be held in cold storage just offline. Right. I mean, we spoke quite recently in the in the wake of what happened at FTX and. You felt that the the market hadn't reached bottom. You know, as bad a year as it's been, we haven't seen bottom yet. Maybe just explain uh, why you say that. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah putting me on the spot, but um, it's it's quite a hard question. Look, it's just my my opinion. I think with the I suppose with the FTX um, meltdown that is still kind of filtering through the market, many large institutions have now been filing for voluntary liquidations. And I believe there will be more to come in the next few weeks, if not months. I think a lot of firms have been affected. A lot of big firms, um, don't want to pinpoint any names, but a lot of big firms were actually holding their treasury on FTX, um, especially people who either had an investment from FTX or had something to do with FTX, had a lot of trust in that company. Um, like I mentioned earlier, there was a Nasdaq company that also filed for liquidation. Um, I think it was about two, three weeks ago, which is which is extreme. If you think about it, they were the first Nasdaq listed company. And that just goes to show um, if they can get affected, anyone can. Um, so I do think we're still going to see a lot more companies file for liquidation. Um, but also in saying that, I say this because I think from a macroeconomic perspective, right, the world economy is not currently in a risk on environment. Energy prices, if you if you take a look at those, they're sky high. And that is actually affecting almost every single industry out there. So what's to say crypto won't be affected and won't go lower? But uh, yeah, geez, that's quite a, quite a hard question. I'm getting my thoughts around here. Um, the general consumer now, if you think about it, has less disposable income as well, um, which also then takes us back to the risk to reward ratio, which is not quite there yet in terms of the potential upside uh, a consumer would have when they want to invest their money in crypto. Um, so that being said, if you don't, if your risk to reward is not that high, why would you invest your last cents into crypto? So I think these are kind of the things that make me believe that there is, um, there's still yet to be a little bit more of a downturn. I have seen plenty of rebuilding happening in the market, but if nothing changes now and in 2023, which I do believe in 2023, we might have a better year. I think the next big bull run we'd see is when the Bitcoin halving happens in about 2024, when there's a decrease in supply of Bitcoin. I mean, on that point, uh, another editorial on your website, which I found quite interesting, was that uh, there's there, there are websites that actually track the number of obituaries that are written for Bitcoin. And I was interested to learn there's been 467 obituaries written for Bitcoin. In other words, saying Bitcoin is dead, Bitcoin is dying, it won't last. The intensity and the frequency of these obituaries has ratcheted up in recent months, and it happens every time that you get a crash in the market like this. Given that these obit writers have been wrong so often, is this a good time to buy? You did say that you've seen some stacking up, uh, if, if I understood you correctly. In other words, people are buying at these low prices, but these would be the diehard you know, Bitcoin followers, right? 
Yeah, no, completely agreed. Look, there has been some rebuilding. And I do think if you really think about it, in the next five years, buying Bitcoin at 16000 I think that's an absolute bargain, right? Um, but if, you, if I go back to your question, I think for certain pundits um, with an anti-crypto agenda, you only hear the stuff from pundits who really do have an anti-crypto agenda or those who just are afraid to admit that they were wrong in the beginning by saying Bitcoin's shit, it's going to die, it's going to crash or whatever. Um, so regardless of whether the price of Bitcoin is rising or dumping, they always mean that they're right that it's a scam or they're right that it's dying or, or, or something that is quite negative um, just because they want their followers to believe that they weren't wrong. Um, so it's no different now except for the fact that when there's a massive pump or dump, which happened over the last market cycle, it was actually created by a centralized institution that over leveraged themselves and did not manage their risk appropriately. So it had nothing to do with crypto crashing. Crypto was on quite a good run um, and then had a little bit of a, of, of a setback. But it was it was purely because a centralized institution had over leveraged themselves and it completely crashed out overnight. This was, yeah, like we mentioned before, FTX, the second biggest crypto exchange in the world. Um, so in the long run, I think the situation for Bitcoin is actually very bullish. Uh, it's pretty much the most transparent and decentralized technology in existence currently. Um, so I think it is very bullish. Like I said, in the next five years, 16,000, absolute bargain. I'd be advocating for it. It's just, where's the bottom? That's the hard question to answer, right? And even me, I'm, I'm confused. It's like, when do you stack up? Um, but I think also the fact is that many crypto or many media houses actually mix crypto exchanges with crypto. Where it actually couldn't be more different, right? Uh, crypto is not the same as a crypto exchange. An exchange operates like a traditional bank, just with less oversight, like you mentioned before. Most of the benefits of crypto, but users are willing to forego this for ease of use, right? So this is a very important point. And I actually made a note of this um, because the benefits of crypto are, are there. It's a decentralized technology, but it's really hard to actually sometimes use the decentralized technology or a DEX or anything of those types to actually um, trade on um, because it is a little bit tech savvy and only the tech savvy people understand it. So for ease of use, people do then tend to go to centralized exchanges. But I think this trend now after the FTX stuff up is, is, is changing. But yeah, to answer your question, is it a good time to buy? I'd say, look, the rebuilding has begun. Like I've said before, I think 16000 is a bargain. It's just maybe don't put 100% of your money in. Maybe just go in stages. If it's 16000 maybe buy 50%. 14000 better buy, buy a bit more. 12000 buy a bit more. Obviously, not financial advice. But I do think we might see a little bit more of a cut, cut, cut uh, of, a, of a price drop now. And then, yeah, I think 2023, 2024, hopefully we have a bullish season then. Because, yeah, we've really, I think as a crypto community, we really have suffered over the recent few months and we're just hoping for a, a bullish bullish trend again and just with maybe more regulations because I know most countries are really trying to regulate the space. I think that should bring about a little bit of confidence again into the market. So yeah, I'd say 2023, 2024, we'd see a bull run again. You raised the point there that people are confusing crypto with exchanges. And, and of course, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of muddling going on. And not only are they confusing crypto with exchanges, but they're they're confusing it with uh, speculation and bubbles and all that sort of thing. And of course, I, I, I totally agree that there, there has been a, a, an extraordinary bubble in certain of these, these crypto projects. Mm. But one of the 
developments which you're involved with at Five West is uh, using blockchain as a means of payment, where you basically disintermediate or you go peer to peer without any central authority or bank or, or intermediary involved in the middle. So you, for example, would be able to send um, money to somebody in the other end of the world for a very, very small fee. So do you see the payments as being where this technology is really going to have the biggest moves over the next couple of years? Yeah, look, I think in the payment space, I think, let, to be very honest, I think the payment space is where we're going to have the biggest movements. Um, blockchain as a means of payment. There have been so many different companies that are also coming to the party now. I'm trying to do remittance with blockchain. Uh, our model is a bit different. We do more treasury management with um, with crypto. So we, we give firms and high net worth individuals the ability to hedge themselves against the local currency. And from there, it depends on uh, on the individual whether they want to remit the money or whether they want to store it just as a hedge and bring it back at the end of the month. But I do think once the regulations are a bit clear, the payment space is where most of the damage is going to happen in terms of crypto being um, just coming to the forefront and taking over. That being said, um, I think it's more the stable coins. So in my opinion, it is a crypto, but it's actually just blockchain technology, right? So it's just a better way of transferring money around the world, cheaper, faster, more efficient. I was actually reading something the other day that said two to three payments out of 10 um, get lost when people are remitting back to their home countries within Africa. If you think about it, it's only the low-income earners that are transferring money back, right? So for them, 500 rand or 1,000 rand at the end of the month that they're sending back to their wife, their kids, um, their families, it's, it's massive. And it's said that it sometimes can take over a month um, for the for the remittance company to find their funds. This is just, it was bizarre to actually read that. And actually, if you really think about it, I felt so bad for low-income earners because at the end of the day, it's their hard work for an entire month, um, slaving away, doing their jobs, and sending money back to their families. And now it's lost for, for two, two, out of, two or three payments out of 10. It's a bizarre number. I think it's very high. And I think crypto can um, completely diminish and and destroy those numbers because every 10 payments will reach there in a matter of seconds or if not minutes if the blockchain's congested and as long as there's a wallet address you can track the money in seconds you can log on you can and it's everyone can track it so i can track it you can track it they can track it so i think it's just also we need to educate the the communities uh, about the the benefits that crypto has in terms of payments and then yeah with a bit more regulations i think the payment space is where most of um, the technology or blockchain technology is going to be used yeah, in the coming future. And then obviously also the likes of Bitcoin, et cetera. Bitcoin is a good store of value. So I think at the end of the day, lots of people are going to be still investing in Bitcoin. But I myself am a firm believer that the payment space is where the blockchain technology is going to be the most successful. I think it's not just the, the the security, the safety of transmitting money, small amounts of money uh, to, to people and not having that money get lost along the way. It's also the cost. Uh, the World Bank did a study on this and the average cost, believe it or not, is 12%. No, it's ridiculous. I was talking to um, someone I know, uh, she's from Zimbabwe. For a thousand rand, she gets charged between 100 and 150 bucks to send money home. That's, that's like you said, 12%. If you take the average of 10 to 15, it's 12 and a half. It's insane. It's massive. You can do that for a fraction. Use USDT on Tron, um, what, a few cents? Yeah. Yeah. Fraction of a percent. Yeah. 
No, it's it's unbelievable. And I, I think especially in terms of these smaller payments, I think that's where it's going to be the most beneficial. And then once you have a use case for these smaller payments, why in someone's right mind are they going to use a, a technology that takes one to two or three days and then a few weeks to track that payment down because there's an intermediary bank involved and then they're not getting back to you. And then they're in America and you in South Africa or you in London and then there's time difference, et cetera. So you can never get an answer back from anyone. So I think this just completely eliminates all those problems. Yeah, I'm just interested to follow up. Uh, when we had you on before, you you were talking about quite an interesting, fairly innovative approach that you've taken to crypto, which is basically treasury management. So you would go into, if I understand this correctly, you would go into uh, companies, let's say in Malawi or Kenya, that are suffering from local currencies that are depreciating very fast. Um, and you would get them to convert their, their local currency into a US dollar-backed stable coin. So they're, they're kind of protected against this diminishment of value on their on their own balance sheets. You're not actually moving that money around you know, between countries. That's not the purpose. It's basically to as a kind of a hedge against local currency weakness. How has that been going? Is it taking off? Yeah, it's been an absolute success, right? If you just take a look at what's happening in Africa, recently South Africa also overnight uh, currency shut up to even I think it was 1795 and companies really suffer. So what our main approach was to actually, how do you build Africa? And that's when we actually came to with this proposal that we should use a treasury management solution to actually get more investment in South Africa. Because I was, I was uh, overseas for a few meetings and everyone was so scared of the African currency. They said, we never want to work in Africa because the, your currencies just depreciate overnight. So we get invoiced by our suppliers, et cetera. We then got to pay that supplier. And by the time the end of the month comes, we're already losing 5%, 10% on, on, on what we quoted our clients to get paid. Um, so that's how we came up with that idea. And I think it's been a massive success in Africa. Um, really, 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 really has been very successful, I'd say. And a lot of more companies are actually reaching out to us every day just to just to ask us more questions on how the solution would work. Most of them, like you've said, like you mentioned now, are not remit, even remitting the money back home. They just want to keep their money there in that country on their balance sheet so that they can pay at the end of the month without, without being hurt 5-10%, which is, which is in, in our opinion, that is the way forward. Until regulations come into play, we will then change this treasury management solution into a fully-fledged payment solution. But obviously, we're waiting for the regulators to come up with a clearer stance and maybe bop, uh, balance payment codes, etc., for us to take that next step. But I think that's just the missing piece of the puzzle is the payment space now. Um, so we've done step one, treasury management. Step two would be actually once they're holding their money. So if you're holding a million dollars on your balance sheet and you want to remit 25% back home and keep 75%, we can do that seamlessly just using USDT. And and it'll take a matter of seconds. And then the company does with it what they want in their home country, where actually the investment came from. Because if you think about it, Nigeria, let's just take them, for example, right? They've got no US dollars. How do you expect a company from Europe to invest in a place where there's no US dollars? They can't ever take the money out. It's like Emirates. Um, I don't know if you read an article about two, I think it was two, three months ago, to be honest. Um, they had to decrease the number of flights flying into Nigeria because they actually couldn't pay for fuel because they didn't have any US dollars in Nigeria or they couldn't take their money out. So what was the option? They had to decrease flights to Nigeria, which means it's actually not good for the economy, not good for the country, not good for the continent. Well, I don't know if you saw just this week that the Nigerian government um, introduced a new directive that you cannot withdraw more than $225 a week. Yes. Uh, why are they doing that? Because they want to 
stimulate support for the e-naira, which is the central bank digital currency that they've just introduced. And Nigerians are not stupid. They uh, th This is why you have such a, a vibrant crypto market there and a peer-to-peer -peer market. People are willing to pay quite massive premiums for Bitcoin uh, because they can't get dollars. Yeah, that's exactly it. When I read that, it was absolutely bizarre, right? That your own government can stop you from drawing money, your own money from an ATM. And, and that's just, again, takes us back to the point of centralizing institutions uh, just running the show, right? So it's exactly the same as an FTX scenario here, just a bit different. That was fraud. I, yeah, I agree with that. But it's exactly the same. They're controlling your money. It's the same. Uh, without clear regulations, crypto exchanges can do that. But to say that a government is doing that and stopping you from drawing your money is bizarre. And like you said, people are willing to pay a massive premium in Nigeria. I think on a given day, it's what, 40 45% on on a low scale, I'd say, as an estimate. Yeah. And that's huge. Um, compared to South Africa, what, it's like one, one and a half percent. There were times when it was higher a few years ago. But but that's exactly because people have lost so much confidence in local currency. And if that's just Africans losing confidence in their local currency, imagine what Europeans and Americans and all those offshore entities are sitting there. Why would they want to invest in, in an economy that is collapsing completely? Just returning to the collapse of uh, FTX for a moment, I mean, the, the public trust in crypto has really taken a dive this year. What do you think's got to happen for that trust to be restored? You've mentioned a couple of things, the proof of uh, reserve audits and things like that. But in that editorial, you mentioned it's, it's, it's professional management really is has got to come into place. A culture change is needed. What do you what do you say to that? Yeah, look, I'd answer this first. I'd say most of the people that are thinking crypto is a failure, right, is the most unsophisticated investors because it wasn't really a failure of crypto. It was more the failure of an institution. So that being said, I think crypto as a whole is a really, really powerful um, tool to use and it has plenty of benefits that outweigh what fraud and these other centralized institutions are doing. So I'd say for these sorts of investors, the only thing that would regain their trust is if the price goes up. But then when the price is high at 60 grand, they buy then and then sell when the price is low at 20 grand. So it actually doesn't make sense when we talk about just the unsophisticated investor. So I'd actually want to talk about more the, the sophisticated investor in the crypto system the biggest confidence knock that they also got was from the from the centralized institution, but they still believe in the power and the technology behind it. So they are still trying to, like I said earlier, they're trying to to stock up now little by little, or some might be going a little bit more, but they are trying to stock up. So I think the trust is there, but that's between within the diehard community. For the unsophisticated investor, they lose money in in stocks even. So like some some people bought Tesla when it was like what two thousand two and a half thousand dollars a year ago, and then they dumped it when it when it when it just dropped overnight. Yeah. Um. So I just want to talk about the sophisticated investors here, and I think for them to be able to just regain their full confidence, I think they mostly are about ninety five ninety percent there. But it's just more oversight. So implement better risk management processes, proof of reserves, like we've spoken about earlier. And I also think it's very important for the unsophisticated, unsophisticated investors that they need to be taught 
um, about these things. They need to learn the importance of self-custody. I think that's the most important. And how crypto or centralized exchanges don't represent the blockchain ecosystem in general. And that's a very powerful statement is because you've got to start differentiating between crypto and centralized institutions. So I think that's where most of the trust is going to come back, uh, come back is from education. Um, and then with education comes obviously self-custody and how these centralized institutions also work towards um, regaining the trust in crypto, which is through proof of reserves, better risk management processing, uh, processes, uh, sorry, and better oversight. I mean, it's been a tough year for, for cryptos generally. I, I guess that's reflected in, in all of the volumes that we are seeing on the exchanges. What, was it a tough year for Five West? Yeah, it's actually quite funny. We were speaking about the other day. It's actually been a great year for Five West, um, to be honest. So we not um, we not an exchange. Uh, so we've never really uh, we we buy and sell. So our OTC desk has been booming. Um, we do a lot of treasury management, like I mentioned earlier. So that's been booming because of all the stuff that's been happening in Africa and the currencies devaluing, etc. So it's been a really, really great year for us at Five West. We've ex- expanded the team. I think we're about 37 now, if I'm not mistaken. And we're looking to hire a few more engineers now. We've also recently come up with our own crypto payment gateway, um, which basically allows merchants the ability to be able to accept crypto as a form of payment on their checkout. And then we hedge it for RAND. So if it's worth a thousand rand people pay us in crypto we hedge it and pay the pay the merchant in 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 SAR or any other uh currency that they want offshore so we're also working um in different jurisdictions now we want to open up uh more jurisdictions and more companies offshore so we can actually offer this crypto payment gateway i think it's also a great way for people to to use cheaper methods of transacting rather than the traditional credit cards etc um which have quite high fees and then, yeah, we've, we've also wanting to launch a, a new partnership. I can't say any names, but hopefully in the next coming months, we'd be able to announce a partnership with one of the biggest players in the market. So, yeah, it's been a very exciting year. I'd say it's been, I've had minimum sleep, but I think it's all for the best. So, yeah, thank you for asking, but we've had a really, really great year. I think the crypto dump was a bit of uh, more admin for me, to be honest, because all our major clients wanted to phone and ask how, how everything was going, uh, etc. But other than just managing people's expectations and reassuring them about um, what crypto is compared to what a centralized institution is. Um, I think that's been the hardest part about this entire year, but I think, yeah, overall it's been a great year. Really looking forward to a little break over, over the festive now. Um, but yeah, we are still open because we never take a break. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Very interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, your, your business model obviously maybe anticipated something like this would happen. So you don't want to be reliant on, speculative flows correct uh so you you went out and you did something different I'm, I'm just curious to know how did you come up with the name five west um it was actually my partner pierre van hilden so he had this idea so both our lucky numbers are five so we were sitting around the table going what's your lucky number five he, he said mine's five two and he said what rhymes with five i said Jeez, you come up with something and he said west sounds cool i said okay so that's how we came up with the name <laughs> quite a funny story to be honest we still laugh with the with the guys at work all the time about how we came up with the name <laughs> wow but, but west west doesn't rhyme with five anyway yeah I mean, it doesn't but it sounds cool so we just went with that it and, sounds cool yeah right? i was actually in nigeria in uh, sorry in nairobi uh, a few weeks ago and there was a building called five on west and i was really excited wanted to open an office of them <laughs> 
Wow. Okay. A final question here, Omar. Some of the trends to look out for in 2023. Uh, you, you said you, you do expect a recovery, but uh, you know, whenever you've got something as volatile as this, you've got to have longer term time horizons. What, what, what do you think is happening in the next year? Yeah, I think in terms of recovery, that it pretty much depends on to what extent you expect the price to recover towards its all-time high. Um, so, but I do believe there will be some recovery in 2023. It's, it is on the cards. And as we edge closer to 2024, when the Bitcoin halving is happening, I do expect it to return to all-time high, if not quite close to it. Um, I think if you talk about trends, I think there'll be radical transparency in terms of proof of reserves on centralized exchanges. I think that is definitely going to be a theme. You mentioned coin market caps come up with that. I think more and more exchanges are coming up with this idea. More um, stable coin providers are coming up with proof of reserves. So I think that's definitely going to be a massive theme. Um, also, I think there's going to be additional scrutiny placed on stable coins. Uh, additional scrutiny on wrapped assets and cross-chain bridges and more volume moving through decentralized exchanges are going to be likely the theme. So we're going to have additional scrutiny from all the regulators, et cetera, but there's going to be a lot more uh, volume moving through decentralized exchanges and also peer-to-peer. -peer, I think that's going to be the markets where the most trading is going to be happening over the next year. And then I think lastly, blockchain censorship and rules of nodes for including blocks based on laws, especially US laws, are likely to become a battleground. So, so yeah, these are probably the trends and the themes you're going to look out for in, in the next year or, or two. But I think it is going to be overall a good year. I don't think it can get worse than this. We've seen an absolute bloodbath in the market this month. We've shook out mostly all the bad players. I'd say 80, 90% are done. But also that being said, I think very importantly, if you are a firm that regulates a crypto exchange in a local community, I think it's very important for you to stay on top of stuff, for you to be able to check their balance sheet from time to time. And if you hear anything about that crypto firm, even if it's not public, but you've heard it, you need to be able to make your um, your uh, users aware of it. That they So when the balance sheet leaked, we would have of FTX, it would be nice to just have some uh, notice going out from all the various exchanges or uh, counterparties that have regulated them in different um, in different industry uh, in different um, countries to just come out and say that this is happening and they're looking into it, just so that the consumers or the investors can just make up the mind of their own. To be honest, at the end of the day, so yeah, okay. look, I think it's going to be a very important next few years, and really looking forward to it. Yeah. So what you're saying there is kind of a self-regulatory information flow. So with a community of users basically share information. Of course, that can be dangerous too, because, you know, people will use that to, to spread fake information about a competitor, for example. Yes. Um, you have to have some kind of way of verifying this information. Yeah. And and one wonders, you know, that, that that system is supposed to be in place right now. It clearly isn't because FTX just sprung up on everybody and just bit bit them. Um, yeah, exactly. I think this will also come with more regulations, right? So if everyone understands what their role and duties are at the end of the day, I think that should clear up most of this. Yeah. Omar Iqbal, who is the CEO of Five West. Thanks very much for joining us, Omar. It's been a great catch up with you and uh, really enjoyed the conversation and also sharing some of your insights and looking forward to seeing whether these trends play out over the next year. Yeah, thanks, Kieran. Thanks for having me again. Absolute pleasure to be on and I'm sure we'll catch up again in the next year. Absolutely. Thanks, Omar.
Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.